0: Blog Talk Radio The
1: Purple Angels
2: everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. And Alzheimer's Speaks was basically created due to needs from my own mother uh, dealing with this disease for over 30 years. And it has been an absolutely amazing ride, um, one which I have totally cherished and learned so much um, through through this, uh, this journey traveled. For those of you that aren't familiar with Alzheimer's Speaks, we are an advocacy-based program providing uh, multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations like we're going to have today about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas and the ice isolation attached to memory loss. We're going to be able to help people live better with the disease and continue to feel connected and purposeful. Together, I know that through these conversations, we're going to be able to shift our dementia care culture. At our core, we um, firmly believe in collaboration. And I I really think it's the only way that we're going to win this battle against this disease by sharing knowledge that each of us has Um, is an incredible economical way to really fight the cause. One of the biggest challenges we have today is just education and awareness. And I think that's one of our Fortes at Alzheimer's Speaks is trying to bring cutting-edge things to light, sharing voice, raising voice of what is going on. And I know we're making an impact because we were recognized by ShareCare and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online, and that would not have happened with all of our listeners participating. Your likes, your clicks, your shares with your Facebook family, with your Google circles, with your LinkedIn colleagues, um, um, with your Twitter fans has had a massive impact on our reach. You see, when you share knowledge, you're pushing it out there to those in need that you may not even be aware of need the information. Sometimes our friends don't even know that they need the information because they're in denial. And so the more comfortable we can get people to have a conversation, to see the resources available, the easier it's going to be for us to shift our dementia care culture. Now, if, you are, um, if you're looking for some great resources, I always like to give a shout-out uh, to a few organizations. The first I want to mention is the Purple Angel Project. This is something anybody can get involved in. It's free, it's simple, and it's powerful. You see, the Purple Angel is the new global symbol for dementia, um, and we want it to be as well-known and as accepted as the pink ribbon for breast cancer. It can be used by individuals and professionals alike on um, marketing materials, emails, um, your Facebook page, Twitter accounts, etc. Just go to dot click on our About page, and then there's a tab on the Purple Angel. All you have to do is read a short poster that talks about what it's like, and what you can do to help somebody with dementia. It's not about having all the answers. It's about being aware. Alzheimer's Disease International is a fantastic organization um, that has a global impact. It is the organization of all Alzheimer's associations around the world. So if you're looking for specific support in your area, check out ADI and find a local association near you. On that site, you're also going to get all the latest reports globally, and it, they are just filled with wonderful information. In fact, they just reduced uh, just produced a study about reducing your risk for dementia. If you'd like to take a more holistic approach, check out Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. There you're going to find um information on diet and exercise and meditation. They have some great uh free Uh, educational platforms that you can tap into, and then many of our listeners are dealing with specific types of symptoms such as Lewy body, frontal temporal lobe, or aphasia. Each of these organizations has a national organization and platform that you can go to to get specific information um, for those symptoms. And I think it's really important for people also to realize this social impact, the engagement piece that is, um, in my eyes, so necessary to help people um, feel purposeful. And Puzzle With Me has created uh, simple puzzles that are appropriate for adults. They're easier to pick up because they're bigger and thicker, but fewer pieces. Jiminy Wicket is a uh, croquet game that can be intergenerational. It can be done formally between memory care and schools, or it can be played at home with your own family. Very, very fun game, but an adaptive croquet game, and even people in wheelchairs uh, can play. And then Music Connect has done massive research on how music connects us um, and and how powerful it is. How it can wake us up and put us to sleep and change our moods. And they're going to be coming out with a holiday CD here. So I'll be announcing that as as soon as that rolls out. But I'm very excited about that. I've 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 already heard the music and it's absolutely fabulous. And then today, actually, one of the <clears throat> One of the organizations that I am just so honored to work with is actually going to be with us today, Health Star Home Health. Now, this is an amazing uh, group, very different from a lot of other home health organizations uh, that I've worked with over the years. And... um, they just have a very different approach, different insight, and are, are doing phenomenal work, especially in the arena of um, Alzheimer's and dementia. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce... Uh, Holly Eady, and she is the area manager for HealthStar Home Health. She oversees um, the corporate division of IV infusion services, their choice programs, their Metro Russian um, Initiative, and the New Mexico branch. You can tell by what I'm saying right there. It's not your average bearer. Holly also provides marketing, training, and community outreach of the Alzheimer's Whisperer Program, including dementia and behavioral health services. So welcome, Holly. How are you today?
0: I'm great. Thanks, Lori, for having us on today. Well, I'm, I'm
2: just so proud and honored to be associated with you guys. I, was, uh, I have just been so impressed ever <laughs> since we first talked at how you guys are jumping in with both feet and really tackling things in a different way and raising community awareness and, and really putting that first. Um, why, don't you, why don't you give our audience a little bit more
0: background about um, HealthStar and the services that you offer? Sure, be glad to. Well, we were originally a nursing staffing agency, and over the last several years we've grown into a much larger larger organization. We offer personal care services, we have skilled nursing. We offer mental health services for both adults and children. We have private duty nursing. We've added, as you said, the IV infusion services. We offer PT, OT, and special, or, uh, sp- excuse me, speech therapy. And then we've recently started working with the veterans from the VA hospital. And most recently, in the last few years, we've adopted the Alzheimer's Whisperer program. We do have seven branches within the state of Minnesota. We have one in Wisconsin and one in New Mexico. So we've been growing by leaps and bounds.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you really have. What led your organization to adopt the Alzheimer's Whisperer program? What 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 were the needs that you saw?
0: You know, we go into homes on a regular basis, and we see the unmet needs by families and caregivers and recognize there is a large gap in the available services that address the needs of Alzheimer's patients. A lot of us know about assisted livings, and we know about memory care facilities, um, but a lot of people don't really understand what else might be available during this difficult journey. And I know, as you've said several times before, you know, there's a lot of life left to live after a diagnosis with Alzheimer's. People live for many, many years with this. And 70% of families choose to keep their loved ones at home during this time while they're trying to work through the new you know, challenges that may be coming. And in order to qualify for an assisted living, you either need to have enough income to cover those costs, or unfortunately, you have to exhaust those resources to qualify for any type of financial aid, which then leaves spouses and families in a pretty tough spot. And unlike many in-home services, we specialize in Alzheimer's and dementia. And we have an extensive training program that's needed for the, uh, to assist the families with the behavioral interventions that we can provide without medications. And our company mission has been to provide servant leadership first, and that's really been our focus since day one. Um, we opened our doors more than 15 years ago, and we've provided care to many diverse populations And we really strive to provide lots of available resources, even outside of what maybe even we can't provide. And I know you said we've kind of hit the ground running, and it it does feel like that in a lot of ways since we've been doing this for the last couple of years. But HealthStar has a large pool to pull from, and many people aren't aware that some of these resources are available to them or that they even exist. And so when we started to recognize the growing needs of the Alzheimer and dementia patients and we understood the care that's really needed in the home, um, we had to take a look at at what we were currently doing and what could we do differently. And so we had started with um, the Alzheimer Whisperer Program, which is a very in-depth training. Um, It provides a much higher level of care and it's a way to assist families who are struggling with caregiver burnout and the challenging behaviors that accompany this disease can be very tiring on family members. And after we met with Dr. Carson and with Catherine um, and decided that, you know, this is really just a a very outstanding program that we wanted to move forward with, we adopted it, you know, and we're more than happy to uh, the second that we saw it. We just couldn't wait to get this into our core curriculum, if you will. And now we're, you know, happy to say, that Dr. Carson serves as our adjunct director and the benefits that the families and caregivers have received from this in home program have been outstanding. Oh that's wonderful. Now um
2: you know with with your interest in in helping, you know, Alzheimer's cl- um, clients and the adoption of the Alzheimer's Whisper, which I can't wait to even talk with them on how they came up with the name because I think it's such a cute name. What have you done to continue to expand, you know, family awareness and, and to help those families that you're dealing with?
0: Well, more recently we've worked with the Minnesota State Fair. We have, unlike um, a lot of different states, we have such an enormous turnout at our state fair. We are in the hundreds of thousands that show up daily. And so over a period of 12 days at our state fair, we had participated at what they call the um, Care 11 Health Fair building. And so lots of different health organizations are in there and are providing different screenings. And we had... uh, presented an option of going in and providing different mem- or a memory screening. And with that, we kind of were a little hesitant, not sure what type of response we would receive. And after we got in there and we started meeting with families, the, the shift was very different. We had some families that, of course, were a little afraid and didn't want to participate at first and said they'd honestly rather not know, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of people feel that way. But once we had an opportunity to talk to them and explain to them, there's lots of reasons for memory loss. Many of them are treatable like a vitamin deficiency or a thyroid issue. And that really seemed to ease the fear that a lot of people were having. And they would opt in just, you know, as soon as they knew that there was a possible treatment and would say yeah for sure let me let me take that screening and so we ended up providing 2200 memory screenings and it was just a large group that we were able to touch that we were able to explain to them what alzheimer's is where does it come, they need to be aware of and really kind of drive home that Um, education and intervention, early intervention, is really um, the best approach to this disease. And then we've also recently opened up our own memory cafe. And I know these have taken off like wildfire, and we've seen the benefits from other memory cafes and really felt that at our core, um, servant leadership is what we do best and what we do most often. And by providing, you know, the free memory cafe, a place for others to come to meet to talk to get support, um, we just wanted to be part of that, so we went ahead and created our own memory cafe so that's two new ways right now that that we're moving forward to try and raise awareness
2: well that's absolutely fantastic i um you know I had the privilege to be out there with you for for one day or part of one day at the fair and I was absolutely amazed at the conversations that people had the you know at first i think people thought well you know it'll just be a brochure but it wasn't it wasn't that you're Setup was so inviting and done so well. Um, it was amazing and such a privilege to hear the stories, even people that said, no, I don't need that. And then they would, they would walk back in again and they would just have to share their own story. Um, and, and again, I, I have such a belief that it's so important for us to have these conversations to provide a safe place. Even if they don't need services now because someone passed, to be able to share, um, people want to talk about this. and And I just thought you did an absolutely fantastic job, and it's exciting to see uh, you starting a memory cafe as well, and um, and expanding that that safe haven for people to be able to, to adopt. So um, thank you for giving us a, a little bit more background on HealthStar. I'm going to go ahead and pull in uh, Dr. Verna uh, uh, Carson next. And she is an advanced practice board certified clinical nurse um, that specializes in psychiatric and mental health nursing. And Verna is also the president of C&V Senior Care Specialists, Inc., which is a consulting firm providing training and support to geriatric providers across the continuum of care specializing in behavioral health and Alzheimer's care. So welcome, Dr. Carson. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Lori. Thank you so much for having us on the show. It's I love listening to Holly because we were so much a part of what they did, and it was uh, it was amazing to us, to Catherine and I. Catherine's my business partner. To see the number of people that came to the booth and wanted screening, and then their um, HealthStars Stars follow up to that was also amazing. I mean, we each got those of us who participated got a list of names and phone numbers um, that we then followed followed up and called people at home to see did they have questions, did they know what to do with the screening, what was the next step. That was impressive to me. So it wasn't just this one-shot deal. It was the opportunity to, to get people screened And I was surprised, to be honest with you, at how many people jumped at that. You know, I thought they would all be afraid. You know, like knowing for sure that they might have a memory problem would be very frightening to them. But we screened an awful lot of people. As Holly said, it was over 2,000. Not that I did that many, but um, Catherine and I were there for two days and did a lot of screening. And it was such an impressive um, outreach to the community. I can't say enough about it in terms of what Health Star did.
2: Yeah, it was it was really groundbreaking the first time that that had been done at our state fair and uh, again the response was just so positive. It was really it was, you know, sometimes going to a, a conference and having a booth can be a little on the boring side, but it was it was very active, very engaging, very pleasant, um so respectful and and heartfelt. Um oh, it was it was quite quite incredible. Um Vernon, do you want to just give, give us a little bit of a uh, background about you i i you know i just touched on it but is there a little bit more that you'd like to add i know you've written 11 books and um you know you you just have just a wealth of information that you
1: come from well i you know i, I like to write glory and i guess that makes me that separates me because most people they roll their eyes with the idea of having to write but for me it's it's uh I just like it. It's a gift, and I I, I enjoy doing it. We um, actually in July or the last day of June, I submitted. the manuscript for a book that was uh, co-written by Catherine my business partner and a Dr. Harold Koenig who is from Duke University and it's going to be called Caregiving for Alzheimer's Disease A Compassionate Guide for Clinicians and Loved Ones. It won't be out until probably um, 2015 um, maybe even in in the fall of 2015 but it's very exciting because it's built it's written around our program and the program is so unique. It's um, Looking at, I mean, I can't take credit for the the foundation of it. It's based on a theory of retrogenesis, that people go backwards. And if you're familiar with the theory or if you're not, you could actually Google online the FAST scale, F-A-S-T, like running fast, and you would come up with Dr. Barry Riesberg's stages. And once you understand those stages, and that's how we teach, that you see that somebody who's in the moderately severe level of Alzheimer's who really is really struggling, um, they can't live independently anymore, they're struggling to do any of the basic activities that most of us as adults take for granted, bathing, toileting, dressing ourselves, fixing food, they're no longer able to do those things. And so the theory of retrogenesis says that cognitive and functionally, at that particular level, they're functioning at a four to six year a four year old to two year old Now we don't ever advocate talking to an adult like they're a baby or making them feel small. but what it does say to us is let me just give one concrete example. So many people want to shower their loved one, and when somebody needs by the time they need help in bathing, they are probably in that moderately severe level about from four to two years old. We never shower little little children unless we're in the shower with them and it's they feel like it's a game with their mom or dad. And this is the number one activity that gets caregivers hurt and sometimes seriously hurt. You know, they're being pushed in the in the bathroom where there's nothing but hard surfaces. And so we we talk about finding other ways of bathing somebody and there are so many you could actually bathe somebody sitting on the toilet and have access to almost all their body parts. You could wrap them with a warmed blanket and bathe underneath of it and have them standing at the sinks. You could do a bird bath. You could bathe, bathe them in a chair. You could bathe them in the bed. but um, And if they could still get in and out of the tub, they might really enjoy a tub bath. But that's just one example of the application of this theory of retrogenesis. And since most of us have some experience with children that when I say to a, a caregiver, think about your own children. Did you shower them when they were toddlers? And, you know, they'll look at me like, of course I didn't shower them. Well, why not? Because the water would have been frightening to them. And so you need to apply that same sensitivity to your loved one who looks like an adult, but the brain is so damaged now that they are cognitively and functionally performing like a young child. And people get this because so many of us have experience with children. And if you don't, if you're not raising one, you were one at one time. So it's a, you know, it's a universal experience. Um, People are able to draw on that. It takes this what seems like a, a very highfalutin theory and brings it down to the level that a caregiver can understand it and apply it and feel really proficient and skilled at managing the needs of a loved one. And it literally allows that loved one to be cared for at home and for a longer period of time because one of the number one reasons that people end up placing their loved one is that the caregiver gets hit in the bathroom, gets pushed down, sustains an injury, and thinks to her or himself, I never could have imagined that my wife, my husband, my mother, and my father would have ever hurt me, and I just can't do this anymore. So when what we're able to teach really allows family members to keep a promise that many of us have made to elderly uh, parents, I'm never going to place you. And it it, it gives strategies to manage every one of the challenging behaviors, so that caregivers are not feeling desperate. They're able; they don't even have to think through this because we've really taught them the strategy, and they find it so easy to apply that we hear from caregivers all the time, "What a difference it made!" Um, You know, they just these aren't these aren't highfalutin kinds of interventions. They're really pretty simple. And when people first learn it, yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Laurie.
2: No I was I was going to say that just sounds <clears throat> absolutely um fascinating and there's there's many people that just you know, can't give their, their parents a bath. I mean, they just, that's not the relationship that they want to have. And so having a company like HealthStar, who is trained in all these different avenues in terms of how to apply and make them comfortable and engaged and dignified in the process, it, it's so important that we have services like that out for people to be able to tap into if they're not able to do certain things themselves. And and I know for I, myself, that. That's one of the things I try to teach is that that people need to do what they're comfortable with, you know, tap into. Family needs because uh, you know otherwise it, it, things can fester and um, behaviors can crop up in us as as caregivers, which
1: then You're you know. are absolutely it, it, right, it, Lori, it, You it, are, and you know the idea that that health star can supply home health aides to go into the home and to do a lot of the bathing and that kind those kind that level of service and care is really so valuable to families that they know their mom, their dad, their spouse is being cared for in a loving way by somebody who's been trained to do this because we trained everybody. Um, So, you know, it's the caregiver may or may not want to learn it. You're absolutely right. And when that's the case, it can be a home health aide that goes in and provides that service. Yeah.
2: And the the other thing is a lot of times people might not have they might have a home health aid come in, but maybe not every day that it's shared. Hmm. And, and so that you're doing you're doing the procedure in the same way so that there's a routine again, because that creates comfort and understanding and, um, you know, for everybody. Um, yes. And so, so you know what you're doing is 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 really so important. Can you tell us a little bit about the Alzheimer's Whisper program? But before you go there, how did you come up with that title?
1: It's nothing really profound. I was in, I still remember it. I was calling at the Alzheimer's program, which really didn't touch anybody's heart or, you know, it just, and I wanted this to be something that had an emotional impact. I was in Jacksonville, Florida. I had done some training and I was back in the hotel room and I watched over and over again that week, the horse whisperer. And part of it was, I watched it because Robert Redford was the star and he's just, he was just so darn good looking. But as I watched it, I thought... But you know what? There's a message here because he went into the world of the horse and trained horses based on that knowledge. He didn't want them to be human beings. He changed what his approach was. And I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is what we should be doing with people with Alzheimer's. We need to enter into their world. We need to change ourselves as caregivers." See, I think a lot of times the expectation is that the caregiver wants the person receiving care to go back to the way they used to be, but that can't happen. And so the caregiver has to be willing to change the way they communicate, their approach, the way they do things. And it just, as soon as I made that connection between the horse whisperer and this becoming an Alzheimer's whisperer, I, we've not changed it since then. And that was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And the name still resonates, I think with people, they remember it. They get the image uh, of really going into that person's world and being able to understand that world and make care decisions based on what that world is like.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's interesting how you came up with the name. Why don't you tell us a little bit um, more about the program itself in, in terms of it, its substance?
1: Well, we teach people about um, first of all this theory of retrogenesis, going back to the beginning, and then the Fast Scale F A S T Functional Assessment Staging Tool is one of the main tools that we teach because it really allows family members as well as professional caregivers to determine exactly where the loved one or the person that they're caring for where they are in their decline. Are they a great fuller, which would be stage four on the Fast Scale? Where They're really still looking pretty darn good, but underneath the surface they're having trouble managing their money, their banking, anything that's really complex they're struggling with, but on the surface they still look good. And we taught that, even to the Health star people, because this is the kind of person that you might get a referral for because she's not managing her diabetes, and the doctor may say, because she 's always been a tremendous manager of her own disease, and now all of a sudden her blood sugar is sky high, don't know what's going on, and the nurse might think that this person is noncompliant, except that the nurses in Health Star know that when somebody who should know is not able to follow through with a proper procedures, they need to really assess for a cognitive problem because that person at that great fuller stage is really able to pull the wool over many people's eyes because socially they look good, they're dressing well, but underneath the surface, they're not really able to manage their health, their medications, their money. Um, They're easily targeted by scam artists for all kinds of terrible things where they can lose lots of money. So we teach them all the stages of the disease and then make the application when we're teaching it This is the kind of patient that you would see who would be at stage four this is the kind of patient who would be at stage five and stage six and um, so we, we teach them the fast scale with lots of application and then we go through what are the kinds of interventions that you would use we focus a lot initially on bathing because it's the number one activity where caregivers get hurt so we spend a lot of time on that and that really becomes an example of how you change your thinking to do a lot of the interventions that people need. For instance, um, when people are in stage six, which is this moderately severe stage, um, they're functioning at the level of a four-year-old to a two-year-old. That Mm -hmm. impacts everything about them, the way they eat, what they're willing to eat, the fact that now they're incontinent, um, because usually it's around two to three that children learn to be potty trained. So going backwards, people are starting to have accidents when they first get into this moderately severe stage, um, and by the end of that stage, they will be totally incontinent. But again, it 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 um, explains this decline in a, in a in a framework that caregivers are able to understand, anticipate, and teach the family caregiver or it may be a caregiver within an assisted living facility because um, the, the agency has really done, HealthStar has done a magnificent job in working with assisted living facilities and really teaching the caregivers within that facility how to manage challenging behaviors. Um, I can remember one particularly that Catherine and I went in. I think it was Augustana, um, I I think that's it. And there was a very, very challenging patient that was referred to um, HealthStar. And I think sometimes these really challenging patients are test cases um, just to see how the agency is going to really manage them. HealthStar has done a brilliant job. And this was a case where Catherine and I had many conference calls with the staff. They would tell us on a weekly basis what, what the challenges they were facing, get some suggestions from us, and then go back and, and try those things in the facility, and then we would get feedback on it. And really from the beginning, I met this gentleman. I actually went in the facility with the staff, met this gentleman, interviewed him, and I said, I don't think he has Alzheimer's. Well, finally, because of Health Stars interventions, they were able to get a neurologist to come in and do a comprehensive evaluation and lo and behold, he did not have Alzheimer's. He had a frontal lobe dementia, which is, it presents very differently. And not that we didn't, we managed it in much the same way um, with being very gentle with him, not demanding, giving him choices, but it wasn't Alzheimer's. And so the FAST scale didn't really apply. So we had to come up with a different treatment plan. And they were just, the Health Star staff were just so wonderful And I can't tell you, every week we'd have a conference call about this gentleman, and I was so impressed with the way they were adapting their care, the way they were interacting with the family. Um, He had a son who was very involved in his care, and uh, connecting with the physicians, and then talking to the staff that worked at Augustana. It was such an impressive job that they did. And I mean that's the way I've seen them operate across the board. But that one really stands out for me because... He was one of their earliest patients in an assisted living facility, and I look back and I think, oh, my gosh, what a test case, because he didn't fit into so much of what we had taught in terms of the fast scale and the theory of retrogenesis. Some of it it pertained, but they were able to modify and um, change their approach based on the behaviors they saw in him. It was a very, very hard case, but they did a magnificent job wonderful well well i'm
2: not surprised at all to hear that they did a magnificent job cuz like i said i have been so impressed um with their their passion and um their their follow up it's just um it's incredible the the genuineness of the staff um mm-hmm. it's it's rare when you see a company with that that kind of, of force of culture that's so grounded and knows so well what their purpose is um, it, it's really it's it's pretty beautiful thing to to actually even be able to observe let alone be part of um, so that that's very very cool um, can you can share another the,
1: example with you Laurie sure, um, sure. one of the trips I made Catherine didn't go with me um, a Tim and Shannon uh, of uh, the agency took me to Fairmount and I did what is called a community event and they had done in Fairmount, they had done a wonderful job of getting the word out that I was going to do this community event. And I think at the end, they walked away with uh, at least three referrals. And I think some of them were in assisted living facilities. Well, one of the nurses who, who has just had such a skill level, high skill level in dealing with the Alzheimer's patient, she was taking a lot of these referrals and calling me on a weekly basis to give me an update. I cannot tell you how impressed I was with her. She had some in in a private home, and then she had a lot in this facility. How she was educating the caregivers in the facility about providing activities, about not showering and finding another way to bathe people, about the fact that people's appetite decreases. I mean, the level of education that she was providing she had one patient in the facility but because there were so many people in the facility that had the same issues she was teaching the whole staff and I thought I just was I get her sometimes she would leave a voicemail and I would just listen to it and think wow that would be my response and um, you know so the application of what we have taught has been really so so complete and effective
2: Wonderful! That is absolutely wonderful. Can you tell us, um, you know, how did you get connected with HealthStar to begin with, and and what's involved in becoming part of the the Alzheimer's Whisperer
1: program? Well, you know what, uh, I Catherine might be better able to answer that because. I think that Tim, um, the owner of um HealthStar heard about us on a conference call and that's why I'm not absolutely sure. And then we uh had we had some conference calls with him telling him what we could do, um giving him the laying out the whole program for him. And then um he invited us. He he contracted with us and I hope I'm getting this right. I don't know if he's on the call, but um I that's how I believe he heard about us. And then we went there and every time we've been there, there has been such a response to our training. I mean, I remember the first time we trained... It was, it was nurses from um, the Minneapolis office and other offices as well. We, dr- we drove to Fairmount. We drove to Duluth. We've trained in Duluth. We've trained in Fairmount. They have been so comprehensive in their approach to this that every staff member has been trained. So I don't know if, if uh, Catherine or he, I don't know if he's on the phone, but if they have anything else to add and how we got involved with them. Um, but I have to tell you, it's been a wonderful um, relationship. Um, since we've been involved and Catherine's on the phone so I don't know if she has anything she wants to add to that
2: yeah Tim is not with us but Catherine is so go ahead Catherine is there anything you'd like to add Um, yeah we actually um, we have a
3: a client in New York that um, provides home care services throughout all of New York who was um, lecturing on the challenges of managing behavioral issues in people and um, that they'd undergone training, and that's how Tim connected with us through um, him being part of a, a, a seminar that she was directing. So, um, but I think we've, we've one of the things that we often do um, with anyone we work with is really look at what what is their current knowledge base that they have, because we have a whole curriculum and competency program that we train people to. So not only is it kind of a a lecture um, part training, but we become involved, as Dr. Carson's talked about, in hands-on management. We've been out with some companies and looked with their staff and done assessments. We've actually also um, provide regular case conferences and clinical support and follow-up with people so that they're really, um, the staff are not just, um, taught an application and a strategy, we actually um, follow through with them using it in, in the field in their day to day practice. And that is what we have seen makes things successful is that not only does somebody understand something, but they know how to apply it as well. So that's something that we, we regularly do with any of the healthcare entities that we work with.
2: Well, and I think that that is so important because um, uh, for people to know that that additional support is there, it's just—it I think it makes it safer for them to move forward Um, because you know change can be scary, and you know it's just easier when you know you've got a professional backing you, your company is backing this, Um, so it's it's wonderful that you've got those additional um, pieces in place. And um, and again, from what I've seen, it it really, really is is quite effective uh, <clears throat> and very practical. You know the things that you're you're teaching people. So um, I appreciate your additional comments there, Catherine. I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, Verna a couple more questions, and then we'll we'll uh, continue to move on here. Um, Verna, in your opinion, what what um, how do I want to say, how do you see HealthStar being better able to help those with challenging behaviors with,
1: with dementia? Um, well, I think they've, they've learned a lot of techniques to use, and I think that, and more than that, I think um, they, the basic approach of the providers is, is a deeply caring one. And I think that starts from the top. I think that um, the whole philosophy of of the organization is to serve, and that is not what always comes forth in other customers that we've worked for. This servant mentality, um, I think that that colors just about everything they do, so that they want to learn the best they. Um, they reward people that are doing a good job. Um, the nurses that go out into the field are just tremendously caring people. And that makes a difference because they, they've they got this innate sense of wanting to make people better. That's just in them. And then once they, they learn specific techniques to make that happen, to, to operationalize that, boy, there's no stopping them. And that's what I see. I see that they hire people who have a philosophy that's very similar to Tim's philosophy and it's a caring philosophy. It is a philosophy of we're going to do the best. Yes, we get paid for this. That's also, about, that's also important. Um, but while we're providing that service that's covered by Medicare or it may be private duty service, we're going to give that patient and that family the very best care that, they, that we can provide and that they need and that they deserve. That attitude is just so incredibly powerful and we have worked with people across the country sometimes we see that sometimes we don't sometimes we see it among staff but in a sporadic way everybody that i have encountered at health star really um it feels this and i think one of the examples is at the state fair the number of people that volunteered to be screeners to cover that booth was amazing to me And the response of staff was really amazing to that that outreach effort. So somehow, Tim, and I guess it's his philosophy, they they hire and they seek out people who have this kind of servant mentality so that, um, yes, they get paid, and I said that before, but they are providing the best quality of service that they can provide to people that have Alzheimer's disease and their family members, because it's not just the patient. It's the family member who also receives care in many ways. They receive education. They receive support. They are incur- receive encouragement because providing care is, is hard work. And sometimes they it feels like it's thankless work because their loved one cannot show gratitude necessarily. And so when the nurses come in or the therapists come in or the social worker, they're able to say, gosh, you're doing a great job here. And not that we're going to tell you how to do it, you know, we're not going to remake the way you do it, but we may help you tweak it a little bit so that you're not stuck over that particular behavior. And it's that attitude that makes the difference. It's that attitude of wanting to serve and to see what the difference is uh, because of that that, as I see, really sets them apart.
2: I, I agree. I totally, totally agree. Um, can you share with us some success stories that you've seen over the years with
1: the Alzheimer's Whisperer program? Yes, I can. I can remember one that really sticks out for me because it was, I wasn't doing the whole training, but I was giving a presentation. Uh, it was co sponsored by the Alzheimer's Association. It was in Columbus, Ohio. That's how significant it was. This has been several years ago, and I still remember lots of details. And I gave an overview at, um, of the program and some concrete examples of how challenging behaviors can be met. At the very end, this gentleman approached me, and he said to me, my wife must be towards the very end of the disease. He said, and I have always been the family cook. She would be bragging about the way my cooking all the time to everybody, and now I can barely get anything in her mouth what do I do? And I said, well, at the very end, people do lose their appetite. That area of the brain that controls appetite is dying. So there's no internal um, push to eat. And I said, but a lot of people still love sweet things. I said, so why don't you take one of your healthy meals, put it in a blender and push it, put Hershey's chocolate over it and see if you can get her to eat. Well, I flew home that that afternoon after the presentation. And when I got home, I looked at my email, and um, there is an email from him. And in the subject column of the email, it's in capital letters, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he wrote, he said, I did what you said, although I thought it was a pretty strange thing to do. He said, <laughs> and she ate every bit of it, and she licked her lips. Well, uh, that just always stays with me because sometimes – when we're teaching people about these unusual interventions that, you know, that you would have done with a child, their response is, well, that seems really strange to me. But when they try it, they're able to really um, have a profound uh, impact. Another one I remember that always stays out to me, stands out for me is a lady that was in an assisted living facility. And um, they had. uh, She had been very aggressive. She had hit some of the staff members. Um, She wasn't. Anyway, by the time we got involved, the nurse got involved. She was being highly medicated with some very powerful medications and was very much out of it. And even that, with that, the medication she was on. She was on antipsychotic medication, anti-anxiety medication. When people tried to move her, when staff tried to move her or bathe bathe her, She was striking out at them so this nurse mary that we had trained went in and she uh the first case that they gave her in assisted living was this particular woman and that's something that we see a lot we usually get the most challenging patient it's like a test can you do if you can do this then you can have lots of referrals here anyway mary looked at this um, woman's record and saw that there was no assessment on the chart for pain and she, as she looked in the record, she could see that this lady had arthritis, but she didn't know to what degree she had the arthritis. So she called the woman's son who said that her mom, his mom had arthritis in every single joint of her body, in her ankles, in her knees, in her whole spine, in her shoulder. Well, she was not on one pain reliever, not even Tylenol. So Mary then spoke to the nursing director, called the doctor, and reported this and said, can we start to wean her off of these powerful antipsychotic and anti-anxiety meds? She was on no-pain meds. And put her, maybe we can start on just Tylenol and see what happens. She needed a more powerful pain medication than that. But once they totally weaned her off of these other meds that were inappropriate and got her uh, medicated appropriately for her pain, guess what? She walked, she ate, she was reaching out to the other residents, she would be walking around and talking to them. This was a lady that they were ready to transfer to a skilled nursing facility. Why? Because many times in people with Alzheimer's, nobody assesses for pain and so many of them, by the time they get to a point where they need total care, the idea that they've been taking Tylenol all, for the last 20 years for arthritis kind of goes by the wayside. The, the facility, or the daughter, or the son knows all the prescription drugs, but doesn't know how mom or dad have been managing their their um, their um, arthritis for for these years. And arthritis is so painful and if it's got if you've got it in multiple areas of your body, it's going to be terribly painful and so that example has always stood out for me that this and we really stress that with um, um Health Star as well this need to assess for pain um and we teach some very uh, specialized pain assessment tools that are specifically designed to recognize pain in the person who has dementia who can't talk about it because pain is an abstract concept. And so by the time the person's functioning at a toddler level, you know, we don't ask our children who are three years old and have an ear infection. We recognize how they behave that shows they have an ear infection, that they're not eating, they're pulling on their ears, they're a little bit difficult to manage. We don't give them an antipsychotic medication or an anxiety medication. We call the pediatrician and say, Johnny has another ear infection. And today the doctor probably would say, let's wait and see, give him some baby aspirin. When my kids were little, they immediately were put on an antibiotic to show you how medicine changes. But that idea of looking at how would a behavior be reflected if I saw this, if I saw the same behavior that I'm seeing in my Alzheimer's patient, if I saw this in my toddler, what would I do? How would I interpret that behavior? That is such a novel way of thinking in regard to the person with Alzheimer's, that and it makes a profound difference in their care. And the pain issue is a big one because so many people, whether they're in home, their personal home, whether they're in assisted living or they're in skilled nursing facilities, many times they're on powerful medications for psychosis when they're not psychotic at all. They have dementia, but that's not a psychosis and they really are in pain. So those two examples have really stood out for me and how important it is to teach people another way of thinking about Alzheimer's disease.
2: Well, I agree, and one of the things that I have to applaud you on, and so many people step back from this because they don't think it's dignified, and I think the way that you talk about it, you can you can tell you're extremely dignified in this. But you talk about, um, you know, what would you do for your child, and a lot of people say, well, don't treat my parent as a child, but the mentality is there, the the tools work, the process works, so why would we not tap in um, to Utilizing these things, um we love our children, we can love our parents, um but we have to love them where they're at, and um we have to and we have to do it in a fashion that works, and so I mean, you can just hear the love it exude out of your voice um as you're talking and and you're saying it in such simple language that makes such sense but so many professionals are so afraid that someone's going to accuse them of, you know, this role reversal and, and um, it's not dignified and, and you're just, you're fully empowered in that mode going, it works, it's beautiful, apply it. Um and so I, I applaud you and Catherine for that and, and for Hellstar, um, because people can relate to that. I mean, it's a simple example that that works. And um I, I think so often we make things way too complicated <laughs> for people. And so using examples um that are meaningful, that um people can understand, I, I think makes so, so much sense.
1: Um
2: I don't know what your thoughts are regarding that, if you have anything you want to say
1: to that comment at all, Verna, or not. Well, I, I think you've hit it right on the head, Lori, that that um, when people first hear this, that we base this on how children react, sometimes they are a little put off by that. And so we really try to give examples like I just gave. And, and once they hear that, they're able to see that we're not talking down to anybody. And you know what? Believe me, we stress that in our training. Uh, you know, when I hear this, we don't talk baby talk. I, I don't know about you, but I never talked baby talk to my children because my sense was, how are they going to learn to speak if I'm not speaking to them and speaking appropriately to them? So the idea of talking down to somebody who's 80 years old or 70 years old, it would never even occur to us. So we don't, we emphasize the need to be always respectful and to treat people with dignity. It's uh, it's when we're looking at where their cognitive level is and i'll give you another example i uh, my youngest sister died t- almost 2 years ago she had down syndrome and she lived to 49 years of age that was a change because it used to be that they died very young but living longer they almost all develop alzheimer's disease and i remember when i would be dealing with my sister um i used the same strategies that i i taught you know, I mean, she just would repeat the same question over and over again, and I had to find ways to be patient with her and respond to that. And it it just, the theory was so useful as Mary Lynn deteriorated and everything that i would teach people in the community i used when i was dealing with my sister and my and then my siblings would watch this and were also better able to deal with her and so it really it's just so effective and and never i can't remember one time where we used to call her mimi where we were ever talk down to her or she cuz she would have called us on it she would have said mm-hmm. i'm not a kid you know i'm an adult and um, so we never did that, but we found other strategies to use that I drew right out of the Becoming an Alzheimer's Whisperer program that were so effective that kept her feeling like she was part of the, uh, the the interchange that was going on, part of the family, and never felt like she was being put down. And I think that's really important. We don't want people to feel like we're making them small. We're not. hmm
2: Agree, agree. Well, thank you so much, Verna. This is uh, you are just filled with such great uh, <clears throat> information and enthusiasm and passion for what you're for what you do, and it, it really, really shines through. Would you like to introduce um, Chick Deegan from Baylor Hospital and how you got connected with her?
1: Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Um a Chick Chick doesn't remember this, but I remember her when I was a uh, when I was a junior in nursing program. She is this outstanding, she has this she's beautiful and a, a looks that really you remember. She doesn't remember that at all, but she sought me out um a number of years ago. Um, because I like to write. And I write a lot of things on spirituality and and integrating that into nursing care. And she runs a program in Baylor that is very much um, uh, to to help caregivers across the the whole spectrum, from nurses, doctors, uh, nursing assistants, to really deliver care that's spiritual, not religious, but spiritual. And so she sought me out Oh, she'll have to tell you. Well, I re- can't remember how many years ago, and um, we we just have developed a, a tremendous relationship, even though we only see each other once in a while. She comes back to Maryland to see her mom, and we usually meet at our Starbucks. That's what we call it, our Starbucks. And we just met there yesterday and had a lovely time together. And um, but she is uh, she's also a nurse. Um, um, master's degree has done a lot of wonderful things and I think this program that she's involved in in Baylor is just so profound and now I think she's going to be teaching it into another uh, hospital that Baylor has uh, merged with but anyway, I'll let her tell you the rest of the story
2: Okay, well sounds uh, sounds very, very interesting, so I'm going to go ahead and pull you into the conversation. conversation Chick, are you there? I am here, thank you
4: and it's such wonderful. a pleasure
2: to be.
4: It's such a pleasure to be in a conversation with so many people with servants' hearts. Um, I think the one thing that I can share from our experience, uh, Baylor is a very large healthcare system, and we merged last year with Scott and Whitehouse, so now we're even larger and have the opportunity to impact through a servants' heart for the care of the of our people in body, mind, and spirit as we take care of our staff. But I think what brought me really to working with uh, Alzheimer's Whisperers and Catherine and Verna was our recognition that we have our wonderful health care organization or home health organizations like health Star. We have our hospitals. A lot of care now is beginning to be looked at and taken care of in our churches and in our faith communities. So we brought... Um, them in to do uh, an Alzheimer's Whisperer education and awareness experience for ministers, priests, rabbis, uh, lay ministers in the churches who are doing health ministries. Because one of their major uh, increasing populations is aging. Are they aging? Our churches are aging. And they were saying to us, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to take care of our aging patients. So we brought together our community along with our uh, patients, our, not our patients, but we did bring together our, all of our staff, occupational therapists, physical therapists, patient care technicians, social workers, nurses, and chaplains to learn together about how is it that we can create a more humane way of caring for our aging families and our aging patients, who are uh, who are so frustrated by what's going on within
2: them. Okay, and and what kind of reception did you get from from those that went to uh, to the program?
4: Oh, people were very deeply touched. And Catherine and and Verna, please feel free to share because you had some private conversations with people. But we had a number of people who would come up afterwards and say. You know, I am here because I am an employee, and I wanted to learn more. This was a continuing education experience, and I'm taking care of my mother at home. And this has been so helpful for me to know how to be even more effective to help get the behaviors that I'm hoping to get and to give the loving care to my family member at home. So we heard many stories like that about the impact and I have to believe that people took back their experiences and they carried it out both at home and at work. So that's what I remember. Catherine and Verna, do you remember other conversations that you had with people? I
1: remember. And, okay. Catherine, do you uh, want what, to answer?
3: Well, I think one of the things that was most um, relayed to me by a woman that, that had not only cared for someone in her own family was, um dementia when we were there chick was that they were it it was she said it opened my eyes that there's another way to look at this disease than than the way we have and she said to me I feel like and this is something we try to talk to people about that many times when patients are hospitalized it's such a short period of time they're in the mm-hmm. hospital and they don't necessarily aren't there for their dementia but the dementia is a complicating factor of how well they'll be able to manage their other diseases, if it's diabetes or heart disease or anything else. And she said, I think we need to, it's going to make us take a a better look at if somebody has some type of dementia and we're discharging them, are we putting in all the necessary resources to best have that person be cared for when they're in their home? And to me, that's really a goal of one of the things that we try to get across, and so, it was it was just amazing that this nurse who had a lot of experience could say that that was her her takeaway that she understood that maybe the way that they had always done things and always practiced they needed to look at things in a different way.
2: Okay, thank you. That's a great uh, story, uh, Verna. Anything else you want to add?
1: I just remember, I think it was the last uh, group that we taught when we were with Chick. It was um, the nurses from the different units, Chick. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I just remember that it was a huge group that we taught. And so many of them would come up with similar things to what Catherine said and tell us that, you know, they were going to do things like um, one of the issues that we raised was, When you discharge somebody, if you don't know that they have a cognitive problem and you're teaching them they're not going to remember it, and they're going to come right back in the hospital. And I remember this one nurse saying to me, what a profound impact that made. She said, because we're very, we, we always try to teach people about their medication and their illness and how to manage. And she said, we feel like failures when they come back to the hospital within a few days or a week of having been discharged. She said, it never occurred to me that we were teaching somebody who no longer has the ability to learn. Well, that was profound to me because I think then that changes the way you practice. Then you know that you've got to be um, teaching the family members. Um, that can't be that you can just give somebody who a piece of paper and say, this is how you take your medications, this is what you need to look for. That's not enough, that you've got to make sure that somebody who's responsible within the family will be able to, to follow through with that and keep that person from being re because that's a big issue now in, in hospitals is that they are being um, penalized if people come back to the hospital too quickly. Um, and so, That never occurred to the nurses that well maybe we're teaching the wrong person because sometimes people that are in the early stage um, maybe those great foolers that I mentioned with the fast scale they don't look up their deficits are not as obvious um, and they're able to cover them and you know the so people might think that they can learn when really they don't have enough short term memory to hold on to what they've been taught. So I think that was really a striking point for me, that – that what we were, were, were supplying with the nurses with the information was totally new information to them. But it was also profound information that it could change the way they even thought about discharge planning and what persons needed when they were in the hospital and who needed to be educated when they were discharged. That's a huge issue. So uh, that stayed with me, that that was something profound that they took away with them.
2: Okay, <clears throat> wonderful. Thank you, Verna. Um, Chick, I, I wanted to ask you specifically, um, you know, in, I guess, in a perfect world, if you could have the Alzheimer's Whisperer program in the hospital um, admissions and be able to work with the families and, and caregivers, um, both professional and families, um, what would you see the benefits of, of the Whisperer program for the hospital?
4: Well, I think uh, I'd start with the individuals, and I think that the individuals would be better enabled to uh, understand both their own family members, people they come in contact with in the community, which is, of course, who we serve, and then also the patients we serve in the hospital. And I think another benefit is that it creates community, I think, by shared learning, and understanding how better to serve others and how to express your purpose and meaning as a healer by being more compassionate and respectful as you take care of patients with cognitive issues, I think that creates community. I think it does improve. It has the potential to improve outcomes. We've put in place, I've not been a part of it, but nursing has put in place many different programs now that have demonstrated that by taking care out into the home by linking our discharge planning with our home care agencies, that together, working together, that uh, collaboration that you talked about, Lori, that by collaborating that we can get better community health outcomes and that benefits the community because then you don't have in the hospital because you don't have people coming back in. I just see it as building a beautiful web of support out in the community for and I think Alzheimer's whispers which is I think the essence of your question Alzheimer's whispers because of the people who are involved and the knowledge that they impart is so caring and warm and reinforcing and you're learning skills but it's it's com- it's combined with your humanity so that you can better show that to those that you're caring for, whether it's at home or at work
2: okay well that that makes um perfect perfect sense uh to me and you know I would love to see more and more hospitals uh, become dementia friendly and and really work mm-hmm. with uh with the programs i know um there's the the wristband program that uh, Gary LeBlanc is doing that is starting to pick up traction, but I think the Alzheimer's Whisper program in combination with that with that could be so powerful in terms of in terms of the training and um, and getting things moving forward. Uh, Catherine, do you have anything else you want to you want to add? Or how you would see the program working within the hospital and the benefits?
3: Well, I I think one of the things that I see most significant today is, is that it it can impact if you understand where someone is in the disease and where they are cognitively and functionally, You, as healthcare professionals, we would do an improved job in being able to involve family. And I think um, not just with this program, but with anything, with anybody with dementia, we have to create kind of a... A team for them of people that are there as supports, and so I think it, it, one of the things with hospitals that can help with is understanding where someone is the, with the disease, then making sure we're matching what what they what they need and what their family needs, and the education with also the appropriate resources to help keep that person safely in their home and um be able to um plan most appropriately from for that. And that's what I see in other health systems have told us is you know, is very important. It's woken them up to the fact that people maybe they you know, as Verna had mentioned or and, and Chick, they can't you have to be able to know where they are and if you're doing teaching with them and they have a complex illness and maybe they aren't cognitively able to manage that anymore, that at least we provide the resources that help them manage it and keep their independence and maintaining that independence as long as feasibly possible. So I see that as being very important when we work with health systems.
2: Okay, wonderful. Verna, anything else you'd like to add?
1: I guess what I would like to say as a conclusion, Lori, is that um, we don't have any real hope for curing the disease right now. That's not really, I don't see that on the horizon. I went to a, a, a research pre, um, presentation a number of months ago, what was given by researchers all over the world, and they said we're just not close in terms of drugs. And so with that being the case, then we need to find Ways to care for people in a a loving way uh, and and to do that in the least restrictive setting, which for most people is their home. And I think that the Becoming an Alzheimer's Whisperer program is a way of doing that. So um, that's just where I would like to, to leave it at this point.
2: Okay, wonderful. Well, Chick, thank you so much for joining us. I I do have a few more questions that I'm um, interested in uh, posing to Catherine, and I didn't even get a chance to to really formally introduce you yet, so I'm going to go ahead and do that now. Um, Catherine, as you could tell, um, is Vernus partner and she's the vice president of C&B Senior Care Specialists. Um, She is a psychiatric nurse with years of clinical experience in behavioral health care and Alzheimer's care, and she began her career in in the New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center uh, Payne-Whitney Clinic. She's worked as the director of behavioral health for a national home care provider uh, where she wrote two studies, on effectiveness of psychiatric home care. Um, She's also served in numerous roles in her 15-year career with the National Home Care Provider, um, including Director of Behavioral Health in WNY and Divisional Sales Director over six years at Northeast States. And general manager of a twenty million dollar um, market in the Western uh, New York area. So again, um, the conversation has just been um, so nice, and I can see how both you and, and Dr. Uh, Verna Carson work beautifully together. Catherine, can you tell us a little bit more about working with um, HealthStar in Minnesota? How you know how is that? program working, and what outcomes have you seen in terms of maybe case studies um, and so forth? Well,
3: I think that one of the things that we've seen now that we're in year two of working with HealthStar is I've seen kind of outcomes in two levels, and I'd like to just comment on them. One, with their staff, that there's been such a long-term commitment for training in understanding not only Alzheimer's but all the related dementias and um one of the things that so I look at is the out, one of the outcomes is, is that the staff has a greater knowledge and a greater understanding of of managing these really complicated cases where family members are trying to keep their loved one at home so i've seen an increase in knowledge an increase in comfort level and also an increase in communication skills to be able to impart to other caregivers as well as families, how um, someone can have strategies and and ways to work with the disease. So that's one level I've seen. A second level has been, as we'd mentioned earlier, um, multiple cases that we've been involved in where um, either a, a patient has been at home um, or has been in a, in a say in an assisted living facility and their behavior is posing such a challenge that perhaps they would consider placing that person at a higher level of care and the healthcare star have staff have gone in health star staff have gone in and provided a very thorough assessment as Verna mentioned we teach people everything from assessing where someone is in the disease Um, to any of the complicating factors of the disease, to pain. Um, We assess whether the person has any levels of depression or anxiety, which is very common, especially in the initial stages of the disease. And what we've seen in some of the the cases, and and Verna had mentioned um, two of them earlier, is we have seen that those um, through um, the HealthStar staff going in and being able to teach family and care, givers within facilities that patients have been able to remain at that level of care um in one instance one patient who um was um they were the uh, family was considering maybe needed to be hospitalized because they were um increasingly agitated um was able to remain at home by the nurse collaborating with the physician um and instituting you know different strategies to manage the patient's agitation and aggression that was occurring later in the day, um, and also different ways that they can communicate. And so I look at the outcomes as being some of the biggest outcomes we teach um, anybody in healthcare that we work with that we'd like to see is that they can maintain people at the least restrictive level of care. We've actually seen that with HealthStar, that they've helped being able to do that, but one of the other great things they've been able to do is help caregivers through empowering them with education of teaching them strategies to manage their loved one. They've really been able to help keep that help that caregiver remain um able to manage their loved one and provide that caregiver of the family member with the necessary resources that they need. Because one of the things I've seen long term in this disease, and I think you mentioned it, Lori, is it's not just the person who has the disease, but we need to focus on keeping their family strong and well. Because many times, managing someone with a chronic disease wears on that caregiver and, and can cause them to have their own um, health problems. So, providing those necessary resources. One of the things that you know we are going to look at long, uh, we we hope to with HealthStar to look at in the in the future, is Um, different sets of health outcomes um, to look at um, interventions, you know, to show that this helps people not need to be going to higher level of care, not needing to go to emergency rooms or or hospitalizations when families feel um, that they're struggling to manage their loved one that has Alzheimer's or another type of dementia. So those are the outcomes we've seen so far, but we as I've mentioned in year two would would like to continue to be able to track outcomes so that um, they would be something that you know healthstar could could educate the rest of the healthcare community about is an added benefit of providing a um, really a, a strategic focus to managing someone with this disease in a very multidisciplinary fashion.
2: Okay. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull Holly in really quickly on this because, you know, one of the things I think that people struggle with is, okay, this all sounds great, but how the heck am I going to pay for this? So, Holly, can you talk to, to our audience about, you know, is this stuff covered or is this all private pay? Um, because uh, finances is, is a big issue for people dealing with dementia.
0: Right, yeah, no, I appreciate that. It it really is kind of across the board. There's different ways of getting to this program, but most people are not aware, and this is highly, um, it, it's, it's not known by a lot of physicians, it's not known by a lot of doctors' organizations, and so one of the things we're really trying to help people understand is that this program is 100% covered by traditional Medicare, Even for individuals who are under the age of 65, if they've been diagnosed, and then even more recently we've talked with the Veterans Hospital and the VA, they also would qualify. And I talked with one individual and he said, well, no, I already talked to um, the Veterans Board and my wife won't qualify yet because she's not old enough. And I said, she does qualify because she has been diagnosed. And i you could just hear the smile from, you know, through the phone because of he had not been made aware of that. And even though he had contacted them, because people aren't aware that the diagnosis itself carries a lot of power and weight in it, um, there's other insurances available that are able to help with some of this transition. And so we can help with, You know, people understanding where they're at, what insurances they do have, but there are times when, of course, private pay may be necessary, but we'd be more than happy to help people understand where they currently are and what they do qualify for.
2: Okay, great. Thank you, Holly. That's that's always I like I said when I talk with people they're always wondering on how do we pay for this? And so that that really clears that up. Um Catherine, you also were out at the state fair um for the for the memory screenings with with Healthstar. And doing, uh, you know, talking with people specifically as you're doing those screenings, what fears did most people discuss with you um, about uh, Alzheimer's, and and how can your program address some of those needs?
3: And, and, and interesting, interestingly enough, the thing that I found that people were the biggest fear they expressed was if they had a loved one, a family member, a um, a mother, a parent, anybody, that they themselves were going to get Alzheimer's. Um, And so that was probably one of the biggest biggest fears that they would express to us. Another one was that if they um, did the memory screen and there was something abnormal with their screen, well, who were they going to go to? Who were they going to talk to it about? And did it necessarily mean they had Alzheimer's or another type of dementia, which, you know, as as um, Holly and other people had mentioned earlier, many times people can be having cognitive issues that are related to other disorders. It doesn't necessarily mean that the person has some type of um, Alzheimer's, or has, um, Alzheimer's or another type of dementia. So those were the main fears that were expressed. And then another issue that we heard really very frequently was that um, family members who would come to the booth and talk to us frequently had a mom or a dad or a loved one with Alzheimer's and what resources were there for them to help them when their loved one had these challenging behaviors or that the struggles they had. And so I think that's where the Alzheimer's Whisperer Program could really help them and fit into that. So um, those were the most common things that, that we were hearing.
2: Okay, I'm going to ask you because I, I always just like to hear how others answer this, but uh, because I get asked this a lot too when I'm uh, speaking and training, is is um, am I going to get this? My mom has it. How do you how do you answer that? Does it run in the family? I mean, because it is a big fear. So how how do you answer that for people?
3: Well, one of the things I do tell people is if you really look at the statistics of this disease. Um, it doesn't have a, an enormously high um, genetic link as, as some other disorders do, um, because I think one of the things is is that um, we have to look at, and there are other there are types of this of of Alzheimer's where there is more of a genetic link than others. But one of the things I try to get people to take away as a message when they worry about having it is that there's a lot of things that we can do to try to keep ourselves healthy that will, in the long term, help prevent the likelihood that we may get that disease. And some of those things are the same types of things we do for heart disease. Um, We should, are good for our brain too. You know, maintaining a lower blood pressure, keeping our cholesterol low, um, not having high blood sugars, all of the things that we do to help us um, maintain and prevent other diseases are the same types of things that have been shown in the research to be very good at um, preventing or staving off um, Alzheimer's or other types of dementia. And exercise being an important thing. And I think one of the best things we can do as um, kind of people who, who educate in healthcare is to anybody that worries about this this disease or any other. Diseases that are out there are to know what are the the risk factors and know what are the things from a health perspective we can do to keep ourselves as healthy as possible. Because I think that helps empower people, and ultimately that's that's very powerful to people if they have that message that there are things I can do to maybe prevent this. Because you know I've, we we've talked to people who have had had high gen- genetic links and studies, and no one's had it in their family and people where, you know, it's been different. So I think empowering people with the education to stay well is really important as well.
2: I agree. I agree. I always tell people that you know most of us probably have the cancer gene in us, and is it going to mutate right. or not? I mean that we just don't know. We just don't right. know. And and stress is probably one of the worst things for dementia um, to to accelerate things and get things moving. And it's hard on our body as a whole. And so, you know, um, like you said, focus on what you can control, not not what you can't. Um, so right. I, yeah. Um, wonderful, well, thank you very much i just i I still am just amazed that more than you know twenty two hundred people went through and got screened during the state fair in a public setting um to me that that is just a phenomenal statement that people want this information and that they want to know they want to have the conversations and they want the resources. Um, to find out so i i thank you and and verna both for partaking um with health star in that in that big movement it was just um just an amazing amazing um time out there uh at the fair um you know, I would encourage people to, um, you know, if you're interested in the Alzheimer's Whisperer program, um, you know, contact um, Health Star. And Holly, how is the best way for for people to get a hold of you? Um, because this this program, you know, what you've learned and embraced um, through through Dr. Verna Carson and through um, Catherine uh, Vanderhorst, uh, their their program, the Alzheimer's Whisperer, is just absolutely of uh, fabulous, fabulous techniques. But if people are, are interested, how do, they, how do they get a hold of you, Holly?
0: Well, the easiest way would actually be to get a hold of our Minneapolis branch where we can talk through um, where a person currently is, what stages they might be in, what concerns they're having. And so I can give you, of course, our branch location, but we also have on our website some information there as well. And our website address is HealthStarHomeHealth.net. And then I know you also have some things on your website as well that people are able to find. Um, They'll be able to link to us from there. But then also our phone number for the Minneapolis branch is 612-871-3700, and I'll give that to you one more time. It's 612-871-3700. Wonderful. And then
2: do you want to give a plug for your new memory cafe for people in Minnesota who might be interested? When is the next one?
0: The next one is going to be held on October 16th. We hold it on the third Wednesday of every month. And, yes, again, they can go on our website, and we've got a calendar there that gives the dates and times and the location. But we always hold it on the third Wednesday of the month from 1 to 3 Okay. We'd love to have anybody come join us.
2: Well, wonderful! I was uh, I was able to partake in the first one, and it's just it's just nice to see people connect, and um, what a relief it is. You had one couple that traveled quite a ways, um, you know, yeah. from New <laughs> I believe, to get there, and they connected with another couple in Roseville, and it was just you could just see this this um, relief. Um, and okay. so the, they're very, very uh, powerful. Powerful um, gatherings to, to build community and provide a, a safe place for, for people to interact and engage. So I thank you. Um, I thank you all so much for um, participating in the in the show today, uh, Dr. Verna. Do you have any last minute comments that you'd like to state?
1: Just um, a plug for um, HealthStar. I mean, they are just uh, very committed uh, providers, and and as you had said, that response at the fair was just overwhelming, but it's more than that. It's in everything that they do. There's this commitment to do it right, to um, do it for the right reason, to provide people what they really need, and I just am so impressed with what, what they do and how they do it. Wonderful,
2: And, Catherine, any last comments for you? I know Chick has, has dropped off the line at this point. Um, just to encourage people who have family members
3: to um, seek out education and resources like you've mentioned, because one of the things I, and it happened to me at first thing this morning, I had a neighbor who has a, a loved one um, that is being worked up for, Alzheimer's, and she immediately wanted to know what resources are out there. And I was able to provide her with many is to make people understand that today there is such a wealth of resources out there in in the terms of support and education and um, that people know that there's many places to turn. And I, I know your radio show, Lori, is a great way to help people really get the word out about um Alzheimer's and so we appreciate that because I think it's something when people need it they are they're not always sure where to turn and so all these resources are, are more and more important to people today and knowing how to access them.
2: Yeah, social media has just made it so much easier for all of us to be able to connect the doc. Dots and and access what it is that that makes sense for us in our own community and family settings because everybody's needs are a little bit different. But um, I absolutely adore this, uh, you know, your program, the Alzheimer's Whisper, and it's so nice to see a company like HealthStar um, take seriously, you know, this need in the community because I this is a huge investment. For them, um, and I know it will pay off in the long run because um, families need this type of support and this information as well as the staff, and you know it it just makes everybody um, live peacefully and and a more calm and engaged life. So thank you all so much again. You can um, reach out to Health Star Home Health at www.healthstar homehealth.net, to get more information. And um, we will um, talk with you all very, very soon. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of do a mid-program wrap-up here. But, gosh, what an interesting show. Um, just, I, I just loved the information uh, that, that we were able to um learn today together Um, some highlights our last radio show we did was called keeping safe in today's world it focused on project lifesaver and what a fascinating show that was we did an actually a two-hour special on that show where we had chief saunders and then dementia care expert mara botanis with us as well as those living with dementia to hear their thoughts but uh, very interesting show you can access that through our um, through our radio program or because all of our shows are archived or it's also featured on our home page at dot our next show will be tomorrow on the 30th i can't believe it's the end of september already And it's entitled Giving Hope to Those with Dementia. And Karen Truman is going to be with us talking about her book, The Dementia Caregiver's Little Book of Hope. Um, Our last dementia chats that we had on, um, we discussed, you know, how do you make a website dementia-friendly, which is really an important uh, piece, and then also we talked about service dogs. Our next Dementia Chats is regularly scheduled for the 14th, but due to my travel schedule, I have not yet decided if we're going to reschedule that. I have to see um, with all my experts if we can uh, come up with another date or if we'll do a replay, but we'll definitely keep you posted on that. Uh, For blogs, there is If you go to our our, uh, Alzheimer Speaks blog, you'll actually see a featured uh, article uh, posted today on the memory screening saying proof that the public wants to know, which actually features HealthStar, who we had on today. Um, There is also an article that I posted called Loss Repeated, and this one actually had to do with we lost one of our uh, dear family pets. And, you know, I kind of talk about... um, the loss of that, and the loss of my mom in February, and some of the similarities and differences uh, between the two and then um Michelle. Uh, our intern also posted an article about comfort. So, again, everybody, I thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget to share this uh, site. You can uh, you can embed the program onto your website. You can share it with your Facebook uh, group, your LinkedIn groups. You can email it out. Uh, you can tweet about it, um, your Google circles, uh, wherever you're connected. Feel free to pass this information. Information on. And don't forget to um, become part of the Purple Angel Project. Um, help spread the awareness of this new global symbol. If you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, uh, remember uh, you can go to Alzheimer's Disease International and uh, for a holistic approach check out Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. If you're dealing with some specific symptoms of um, Lewy body or frontal temporal lobe or aphasia, make sure you also um, search out those national organizations. They're there to help you. And lastly, again, don't forget about HealthStar Home Health. They are doing marvelous work, and they can help you and your family as well. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a wonderful day.